Welcome back to another episode of 30 Flirty and Surviving. It's Tracy, as always, and new episodes are going to be on Apple, iHeart, Spotify, and some clips on YouTube every Monday, 9 a.m. We've got another great show for you today. If you check out the Instagram, 30 Flirty Surviving, you can also see maybe which guests are going to be coming in future weeks and some additional clips. So be sure to follow and, you know, share, like, engage, do all the things. I haven't asked that of you in a while, but, you know, let's keep it growing. Let's keep it moving. But yes, we do have a really exciting guest for you guys today. A couple weeks ago, you guys all learned about the pelvic floor what it is, the importance of it, and the fact that both men and women have it, so we should both equally, you know, take care of it. And I wanted to bring in another expert. I have Donna Chow with me, who's the founder of Foundations Pelvic Health. She's a physical therapist, and she has had a little bit of a journey. She did some other things in, you know, ortho, physical therapy, and then kind of made her way focusing into specifically women Women's health, which I appreciate. I know you guys will appreciate. And I just want to do a deeper dive on it because I think there's so much to unpack and uncover. And there's so much that we didn't even get to yet. So we're sort of extending and expanding upon that previous episode. And she is going to be our guru today. So without further ado, let me introduce you, Donna, to the show. Donna, thank you for being here. Hi, Tracy. I'm so excited to be here. Excited to dive all into the pelvic floor. Yes. <laughs> I'm so excited. Okay. So before anything else, let's do basics. So socials, foundations, pelvic health. Yep. No underscores, nothing nope, fancy. Nothing. And same for the website, correct? Yep. Foundationspelvichealth.com. Perfect. Tell me for folks that are listening, just like your quick one-line elevator pitch, what is your company? So we are a pelvic floor, pelvic health physical therapy company, and we specialize in treating anyone and everyone with any sort of sexual, urinary, or bowel dysfunction, as well as anybody who's pregnant or postpartum. That's like my one very concise, could go very into depth with that. Yeah, (laughs) no, but that you cover everything. And what I love most about that little explainer and teaser is that like I had mentioned, we talked about this a little bit on the show before, and all of it was really pertaining to women's health, which obviously is important and I want to cover today. But I was really mind blown in our conversation prior to today, learning about how this can also be important for your your bladder, your bowels, and so many other things as well. So I really want everyone to get the full like 360 view and lens today on how else taking care of this properly and managing our our pelvic health can benefit us and can lead to some great things for us. I am so excited because these are questions that I get day in and day out. Yeah. And they're, I don't know, everyone's always like, this is TMI, but and I'm like, nope, nothing, literally no nothing. No such thing is TMI Literally at this point. no such thing. My, the walls of my clinic have heard it all. 
<laughs> oh, the stories those four walls could tell, I'm sure. I love that. And yeah, no, I think the more the more TMI, the better is how I, I kind of operate. So I'm with you there. <laughs> Before we start diving into like the formal Q&A, I always ask all of my guests a couple basic introductory questions. So first and foremost, where were you born and raised, Donna? So I was actually born and raised, well, I was born in Taiwan, actually. Wow. Yeah. And then I moved to California when I was four, and I'd been there ever since. And then I moved to Boston in 2013. So I've been here 10 years. Kind of crazy. So were your parents from Taiwan originally? Yep. So mm-hmm. was your first language Taiwanese? Chinese, but Chinese. yes. Wow. Yeah. Do you still, can you still speak it fluently? Yes. I'm not as great anymore, but I'm, I can, I'm still capable. That's incredible. Wow. I'm jealous. Anything I learned from French class in high (laughs) school, I did it for like seven years in like middle school and high school. I can say bonjour. (laughs) So I'm actually taking French right now, just like an online class. And it's really hard. Conjugating French verbs is very difficult. Pronouncing anything. And pronouncing anything. Yeah. Yep. That's why. It's so hard. Mm -hmm. As soon as I didn't have to like know it anymore, (laughs) my brain said, forget this information. But I do wish that I was multilingual to some extent. All right. Next question. What's your age, my dear, if you don't Uh, mind sharing? Yeah. I'm 33 years old. (gasps) Yay. 33 (laughs) is a good number. Yeah. It's we love mid, mid early 30s, late early 30s, late early 30s. Right? Yes, that's right. a that's a little bit of a, a brain right? twister. But yes, it is. <laughs> that is correct. Um, zodiac sign. Uh, Leo. You sound unsure about that. Well, sometimes I forget. But yes, Leo. When's your birthday? August 5th. Okay, yeah, you're yeah. Leo. Love that. Do you you don't know anything about it? No. no. Well, okay. I uh, basic things like lion, da da da. Yeah, uh, not. That's okay. Yeah, no judgment. If you ever are curious, just let me know. Oh, I, I can tell you. I can tell you. We can do that another time. <laughs> <laughs> and your relationship status? Um, married. Congratulations. Thank you. How's married life? How long have you been married for? Um, the reason I hesitate is because we had a COVID wedding. So we got mm. married in 2020. It is 2020. So like two and a half years. Yeah. Everything's a blur. Everything's kind of weird. Yeah. You're like, it could be four. It could be two months. I'm not really sure. Yeah, it's like between. a weird blur. But yeah, we had our actual wedding ceremony, like a tiny little one in 2020. But then we had our like party or like, because we had to postpone everything mm. in 2021. So then I get confused sometimes, but it's 2020. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. You didn't get to actually celebrate. So exactly. it feels like it happened later than it did, but mm-hmm. truly it was official in 2020. Yep. Had you guys been dating for a long time? You meet in college? Tell me a little bit no, of story. Uh, we, we love the love life <laughs> stories. We met in... Uh, Oh, gosh, the years. I don't know. Five or six years ago online. An on- hinge success story. Oh, my goodness. I know. In the flesh. In, I know. I was actually seeing somebody else um, when he, we, um, his name is Mike. Mike started talking to me and I was like, oh, not a good time right now. And then that and then that other thing fizzled out. And then he reached back out and was like, is this a good time? And then here we are. <laughs> Mike is persistent. We absolutely support a man who knows what he wants and he wanted Donna and we love that about him you know the biggest sweetheart shout out to you Mike congratulations on catching your girl (laughs) okay and then my last question totally unrelated to pelvic health totally unrelated to you specifically but I just always like to ask a little something fun too 
my question for you today is if you had to marry, fuck, kill. Okay, ready. Prime, Hulu, Netflix. Or would it be harder if I asked HBO Max, Hulu, Netflix? I don't so the thing about me is like I'm not a huge TV person, oh, which is just like so you're just like screw them all. Well, Forget yeah, them. I'm like, but I do love White Lotus, mm. and that's on HBO Max. Is that what it's on? Yeah, HBO Max. Yeah, okay. So maybe marry that one because okay. it needs to be around forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Netflix. Oh gosh, maybe fuck. Yeah, mm, yeah. yeah. And then Netflix we'll be, and yeah, show. Yeah, exactly. Netflix and there show. We yeah. Go. And then uh, what was the last one? Hulu. Yeah. Yeah. Kill. Whatever. Yeah. 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 I agree. Okay. Whatever, well. Hulu. Well. Well done. <laughs> I should have known my audience a little bit better before I asked that question, but I appreciate you playing along regardless. <laughs> okay. So. I would love for you to just start by giving everyone a little bit of a background on your journey, sort of when you first got into PT, the beginning of your career, and how that sort of led you to where you are now, so they have a good understanding of who you are and what you're all about. Perfect. So when I graduated undergrad, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to go into medicine, but I was kind of, I don't love blood and guts, you know, I'm not good in emergency situations. Like I don't want to be responsible for anyone's life or like life or death. I like, I'm a person that likes to like think things out. So like, you know, going to med school was like, nah, not really my thing. So I forget how I stumbled on PT, but then I applied to PT school. I've always been pretty active my whole life. So I couldn't just see myself like sitting in front of a computer all day long. I just like couldn't do that. Mm. And then yeah, just rub it in. I know. Well, I in. said that and I was like, ooh, I shouldn't say that because no, everyone's no, no. working from home right now. Sorry. But, I um, feel like pe- everyone who, <laughs> even people who do work a nine to five desk job say that. Like everybody says that. We all agree. It's just sometimes finding the alternative <sighs> options are difficult, but you were ahead of the game. So yes. I, I commend you and I applaud you for that. Yes. Um, obviously during pandemic, that was a little bit difficult because, you know, like you all could pivot pretty easily and I could not. But anyways, we're out of that right now. So I got into PC school and I was like, oh, I'm going to work with athletes or like, um, actually I found that my passion was pediatrics because kids are just the cutest and so wonderful. And I had a clinical rotation. This was in Austin, Texas at a pediatric hospital. And I had the best time. It was so fun. But something that I realized was that it would always be usually the moms like bringing in the kids and they'd always be like, oh, my back hurts, my shoulder hurts, you know, but I'd be helping their children. So, you know, couldn't really dedicate any time to helping them. And then this isn't a two for one BOGO deal, mom. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But then I was offered a clinical that was half orthopedics and half women's health. And that was like really my first sort of foray into it. And I remember in in school, we had had like maybe like one lecture on like uh, women's health, pelvic health. And I was sort of like, oh, it's kind of weird. I'm not really into it. Into it. It's kind of gross. I don't know. But anyways, when I got in there, I was like, oh, my God, how did I not know this about my own body? I'm in PT school. We went through some of this stuff, but like we didn't really go into depth. And how are how is this? How are issues like this so common? Yeah. And like nobody knows how to fix it. Um, everyone, there's so much stigma attached to all this. And the conversations I would have with patients were just pretty incredible, actually. And it was actually incredible to see, you know, the relationship you build with people when you're answering some of their like, you know, their things that they've never admitted to anyone, much less their doctor or even like their partners, anyone like that. So that's how I really fell into it. And then I've literally never looked back. 
I kind of split my time between like orthopedics and women's health, or I should say pelvic floor, because I see kind of everyone now. But I, because I felt like, you know, I have to look at the whole body, not just the pelvis. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I got a pretty comprehensive look at everything and how everything works together. But then um, I don't know, four-ish years ago, I was like, nope, we're going to go all in pelvic floor. And here I am on the yes, other side of that. Still going, still going. You never looked back. Never looked back. I love that. And I, I think that it's really honorable that you sort of found that niche or that little bucket that doesn't get enough attention. Because I think that... Very often people will go to, oh, this is sort of what everybody's doing or, you know, I hear about this all the time. So I know this is safe. I'm going to stick with it. You and, and it makes sense for your profession and the nature of what you do. But you saw what's not getting as much attention, what's not being addressed enough. That's what I want to go for, because clearly that means there's going to be a need there, you know, and I think you can do a lot more good in something that's not as frequently touched, I think, you know totally. what I mean? So very honorable of you for that because not everybody I think would do that because you really have to storm your own path then that way. So sure, a lot of a lot more work in the upfront, right? A lot of figuring totally. things out, trial and error, but in due time, here you are, it's all worth it. Yeah, I mean, I was the luckiest and I feel like I had great mentors, people to look up to, people to ask questions to. Again, so lucky for that. And that's something that I hope to continue to bring to like people on my team, that mm -hmm. sort of thing, like making sure that I'm a mentor to them and like helping them forge their own way in terms of like them learning about pelvic health and helping their patients. And just it just it just keeps carrying on. Yeah, absolutely. I want to start with basics. I love always Perfect. just doing sort of 101 to make sure we're all on the same page here. But I do think that at one point or another, physical therapy has come up in pretty much everybody's life. Whether you've gone to PT, you know someone who has, you know, been to PT. Sometimes, you know, in the hospital for a surgery, the, the, the PT comes and just checks you out. So I think that we're familiar with it. But if you, as a professional, were to distill it down into a brief definition, like how would you describe what physical therapy is? Um. So I would say we are uh, the people have wait movement and rehab professionals um i put those two words together yeah um and we are here to help you move function do all the things that you love to do as best as you can without pain without limitation um we're there to support you as your coach not even I wouldn't I won't even go into like pre and post surgery but just like anyone we are yeah. here to like kind of help any human being move to their best potential, function to their best potential, kind of be the best version of them. I know that's so like woo woo or like deep, no, but, it's but really truth. like yeah. yeah, movement. We're we're humans. We're made to move. Yeah, and I th I love it. I think it all can really boil down to function, right? I mean, yep. that's really the the crux of what PT is is helping you, you know, helping you to hopefully function to the best of your ability and the way your totally. their body's supposed to. But something that I think is really interesting is kind of like you said, post-surgery, you know, I, I think of PT, it's like the, the hip replacements, the knee replacements, you think of joints and range of motion and that sort of stuff. But as we've already, you know, sort of teased, it's not just 
your knees and your hips and your in your joints. It goes deeper into Literally. right <laughs> deeper, no pun intended, into your you know it's your muscles. It's the inner of your body as well, and so things that you may not necessarily think of. Correct. Totally. Not to even like go a little further, but there's PTs that work with like neurological people with wow. neurological issues. There's cardiopulmonary PTs. There's acute care PTs, like people that work in hospitals that like kind of see the whole range of all those, mm-hmm. sim- all those things. So yes, like, yes, we all know the muscles and inner workings and stuff, but there are some that really specialize in like the, the brain, like wow. the heart and lungs, like really, really cool things. Right. So it, there's so much more that this can help and, and can exactly. have to do with than just what you might think, you know, mm-hmm. or see most often, which leads me to my next question, which is what are, would you say, the more typical areas, quote unquote, of the body that people use physical therapy for? Or another way to look at it is sort of like, what are the common um what are the common reasons people will first come to you, you know? Yeah. Are you talking pelvic floor or just in, just general, in general as a PT? Yeah. So I would say hospitals like a little bit different, obviously, but um, I would say like in like an outpatient setting, if you're just like going to PT, I would say a lot. Of, I used to see a lot of people for like low back pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we all sit so much foot pain, um, hip pain, all sorts of pains, really. Mm-hmm. But I feel like low back pain was a big one, too, because, I mean, how many people do you know that have low back pain? Oh, everybody. Yeah. Who doesn't? I know, which is, like, so, like, we could help. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like that was probably one of the big ones. And obviously, of course, different PTs specialize in, like, athletes with um, pain with running mm-hmm. or uh, CrossFit or stuff like that, too. Okay. Um, but I feel like in general, I feel like low back pain is a big one, foot pain, hip pain, um, even like neck, cervical pain. Yeah. Okay. That makes so sense. Many things. So yeah, that so- tracks. That yes. tracks. And then also one other thing just while we're before we move on from the basics is what is the biggest difference? I think you sometimes can hear, especially in a ho- hospital setting, almost synonymously PT, like in an occupational therapist yes. as well. What's the difference between a PT versus an OT? So I won't be the best person to speak to like what OT does. Um, I feel like an OT will describe that a little bit more. Yes. But um, o- we do work a lot with um, like in a hospital, we'll t- work with a lot of patients like with walking, getting in and out of bed, more like stairs, like big movement activities mm-hmm. where OT will help somebody maybe like how figure out how to brush their teeth again or brush their Got hair it. or even like toileting too, like getting on and off a toilet and like wiping um, stuff like that. So more of like just your like regular day to day, day to day. They're called like activity activities of daily living mm-hmm. and they do a little bit of more like neurological um, uh, screening as well too. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Super, super helpful. Thank you. So now, same but different, I want to start to segue into your specific practice. I'm curious, knowing that you focus and specialize on the pelvic floor and pelvic health, what do your patients typically come to you with as their major or most common complaints? Like, 
I would not know exactly. <laughs> I don't think that a lot of people would be like, oh man, I should go get my pelvic floor checked out, right? So like, do they know why they're coming to you? Do they have a specific thing in mind? Or is it just, help me, I'm totally lost. <laughs> oh my gosh, we have kind of, it runs a gamut, but I would say like most people that come in are like coming in with an issue. Mm-hmm. They're like, here's my issue, please help. Yeah. I feel like, Our clinic especially, we see a lot of pregnant and postpartum folks. I would say a lot of like maybe chronic pain patients, meaning people that have been dealing with pelvic pain for a long time. So even people with like diagnoses such as like endometriosis, um, PCOS, um, more like those sort of like pelvic pain issues. And then we also see like, I feel like one common one is urinary leakage. We see that a lot. I feel like that's like a, oh, you're leaking, like pelvic equals like pelvic floor PT, great. We also see so much more than that, but I feel like those are like big diagnoses that we see. Mm -hmm. And so would it be fair to say that it's sort of a mixed bag? You know, you may have people that come in and say, you know, I have PCOS, so I already know sort of the cause or why this is happening to me, but I just need help with the treatment. Just as much as you have people that say, I have a my leaky bladder, (laughs) but I don't know why that's happening. So they're either going to come in with a a clear root cause or a symptom. And that's what's going to bring them through the doors initially. Usually, yes. Okay. That's actually a really great way to put it. Some people come in knowing their full, like their work, their whole like medical panel, like all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're like, but I, and I've tried all these things, but I'm still having pain. I'm still having bloating. I'm still having whatever it is. Um, And then some people are like, I have this, you know, and then, and then it, we kind of help them figure out a little bit like or like maybe like a, a good referral source would be XYZ or like, oh, let's when, let, when we check out your pelvic floor, this totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. So yeah, so they're either looking for treatment or for answers, but yeah. that's good to know that you can help with either of those things. Totally. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, and also you just mentioned referrals and that was going to be one of my questions was, can anyone just decide that they want to go see a physical therapist or is that something that you would need a, a referral for from your PCP or another doctor? So in Massachusetts, we're a direct access state. So you can walk into any PT office and receive care without a referral from your PCP or other medical provider. Um, that being said, we are an out of network practice. So um, we do not accept insurance. So we actually, again, don't need a referral, but a lot of insurance networks or insurance plans might require one to be covered. Okay. Or required a referral to be covered, if that makes sense. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. That's very, very helpful. I want to start getting down to the nitty gritty, okay? So I've got some questions here and I might be reading some of them off because I just want to make sure that I don't forget anything. But I think that what would be perfect is we figured out why they're walking through the door, right? So now let's walk through what that first initial consultation or appointment is going to look like. Um, And I imagine that it will be different for everybody based on their reasons, right? But let's think more in terms of women's health and and the pelvic floor. So say someone's coming in with an issue related to specifically this, what is that initial consult or like I said, appointment going to look like? 
Yeah, great question because people are always like, okay, pelvic floor PT, but like, what is that? Yeah, yeah. What, what are you doing? like? What do we? <laughs> what does that mean? What are we doing? So, great question. So, the first visit is a lot of really gathering a lot of history, just being like, okay, like, tell me more about this. Tell me more about this, or. You can, um, let's dive a little bit deeper into these symptoms. Like, oh, are you having, okay, you're having some leakage, like making sure we're talking about all the, your urinary symptoms. But then like, let's also talk about your bowel movements too, because that's something that like maybe you didn't realize would have an effect on your urinary system, but maybe. Mm -hmm. So I like to check all the boxes. But honestly, the first visit is a lot of giving the patient a, like a place to speak. Because how many times have you been to your doctor and you're, it's like literally a five minute appointment? There's like, it's just like, oh, okay, it's just this. I'll see you in six months. Yep. So really giving somebody a place to speak and talk about these things and what their symptoms are, what's bothering them. I like to go over goals with them too in terms of like, okay, so let's have an example. Like um, somebody with painful penetrative intercourse, like they have really a difficulty tolerating anything penetrative. So it's like, okay, so like, what's your goal with that? Like, is it more to be able to tolerate a speculum exam with your gynecologist? Is it to be able to have penetration with your partner? Is it to be able to put in a tampon? Like, let's make sure like we're targeting all those things. Because if someone's like, I have no interest in a tampon, great. We don't have to talk about that, but I'm not going to like force anyone to do that, right? So I want to make sure we're meeting their goals where they are. Um, And then kind of, well, after we kind of talk about that, we then I go and move into explaining what the pelvic floor is because nobody has really heard of it. Oh, that's not true. People have heard about it, thank goodness, for like TikTok and um, Instagram and social oh media, my gosh. right? Which is a blessing and a curse, right? Oh, totally. I mean, at least we're hearing about it. Are we hearing the right information? Nobody knows. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's the totally, out. <laughs> totally. Um, <laughs> um, but um, going over the pelvic floor and like telling them, like talking to them about like just giving them words to some of these areas of their body, just because I feel I, for one, feel like knowledge is power. If I'm like, oh, this area of your body, it's called your your vulva. Like that's where you're having that pain and burning, not actually anything internal, you know, just like giving a totally. little bit more um, context to like what they're talking about. And then they have a little bit more understanding of like their body and like what's in there as well. So usually I'll have my my little model pelvis and I'll explain things to them, which Which I have. Which you brought. (laughs) Yes, of course I did. If you guys are listening right now, you're going to have to um, also (laughs) go on to YouTube so you can see this. Or maybe you'll see it on the Instagram page as well. But this will be a little bit difficult if you can't see it at the moment. But I kind of want you to still walk us through a little uh, show and tell of all the different parts of the pelvis, if you wouldn't mind. Yes. So this is, um, I brought my pelvis because I feel like Uh, I don't know. Again, this is just a gray space. Everyone has seen a pelvis or like, you know, a skeleton on like a Halloween skeleton. And it's just like, like a dangly thing of bones. Right. But like nobody really sees it with like the pelvic floor inside. And it's sort of like, oh, I didn't even realize that was there. So anyway, so in my, um, in that first visit, we talk again, symptoms, talk about, um, what their goals are with pelvic floor PT, um, how pelvic floor PT can help. Mm -hmm. And then I bring out my trusty pelvis. So those of you watching can see this, but this is just, um, literally one of my favorite things to bring around. This is like, 
Kind of cute. I know. Thank you. I think it's really cute. Um, so walk us through as best as we can. Maybe we, yeah. can, we can use some like visual context totally. clues so that if they don't, if they aren't looking at it, they can get an yeah. idea in their head. But what are all the parts? Lay them out. I love it. So first off, we'll start with a little bony anatomy. You're just going to hear my PT self come out right now. But basically these two big bony wings of our pelvis, you know, like when you're angry, you put your hands on your hips because you're like angry. Mm-hmm. That's like right here. You're like, you know. We all know that. And then um, these two bony wings in the are joined in the middle here by your pubic symphysis joint. So this is a big joint right in the front here. It's like kind of below your belly button. In the back here, we've got uh, your sacrum, this kind of big guy right here. One SI joint, the other SI joint on the other side. You got two. And then we've got your tailbone, this little guy right here. It's like actually like literally like this small. And then you've got your spine stacking right on top of everything else. Do you know what's so interesting is that I really always thought sacrum and tailbone were sort of the same thing. So the tailbone's connected to the sacrum, but yeah, they're actually like connected by joint. So every time that I have hit my sacrum and I said tailbone, I was wrong. Like, that's good to know. You know, what's what? See, learning so much already. You, you're going to, your mind is about to be blown, Tracy. So then, um, so that's all the bony stuff. And then in the middle here, where's the camera? Oh, right here. So this little bowl right here of red, those are your pelvic floor muscles. So everyone has um, them, male, female, anyone in between, um, young, old, we've all got pelvic floors. Genitalia is obviously different for all these people. But um, anyways, you can think of this pelvic floor as sort of like this muscular basket of um yeah, it does look like a basket yeah it's a little like basket. A bowl basket yeah exactly that supports all your pelvic floor muscles uh sorry all your pelvic organs it's a bowl of muscles that supports all those organs so this is going to be a cis female here and then i've got my little organs here i don't know if you can like hell yeah right here this little guy wow. the urethra like goes out here that's little i know is that it how expands. bigger bladders actually are uh ish it expands quite a bit more We'll talk more about bladders. Yeah, I know yes, you have a lot will. of questions. Oh, yes, we will. <laughs> this little guy goes right above, actually right behind the pubic bone, just right here. Lives right here. Okay. Then we've got your uterus right here. This little guy here, which obviously gets a much bigger. So you describe like the shape of the uterus. Oh, that's a good question. Um, it's like kind of... It's giving me elephant ears and nose. So if you think of the elephant ears as where the fallopian tubes are and then the head of the elephant is like here. Mm -hmm. Minus Mm -hmm. no nose. Don't think about a nose. An elephant nose. Oh yeah, I forgot this is a podcast. Yes. (laughs) I'm like pointing things out. Um, uterus right here. And then if you can imagine the cervix right underneath the uterus and vaginal canal right here. This goes above and behind the bladder, just like this, kind of tucked in here. Okay, so you so can your, see it's like, yeah. How do you uterus? Your, describe- your uterus essentially sits on top of your bladder, basically. Yep. Okay. And then your vaginal canal sits right behind your bladder. Interesting. Yep. And then guess what? We've got our friend the rectum. Boom! Right Hello, here. Hello, old friend. <laughs> or are you my foe? We'll I know. find out when we further discuss. Um, but anyways, front to back, we've got your bladder, uterus, and vagina in the middle, and then rectum right in the back. So explaining this to people can be really enlightening because they can be like, "Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was right on top of that, or this was right behind this." And that's oh, that makes sense. That some of my symptoms are like that. 
close quarters. And it, oh my it gosh, gives yes. a really good visual of why perhaps not for every single one, but for, you know, some issues with your bladder, how that could affect your reproductive organs versus your your bowels. You know what I mean? Yep. So I think seeing the relation and proximity that they have to one another, it give, makes it all sort of make sense, yeah. right? Okay, uh, well, obviously they're going to affect one another. They're all crouching on top of each In other. In this tiny little bowl. In this tiny little bowl. Tiny bowl. Yeah. Um. So just like as an example, folks that are really constipated a lot of times have a lot of urinary urgency because guess what? That poop is taking up a lot of room and it's yes. squishing into the bladder and the bladder might not have enough room to fill a lot. So then you might have a lot more urgency because you just don't have room to, your bladder doesn't have room to hold more pee. So this is why we like ask all these questions. Some of it, again, is seems very TMI, but it actually helped us just kind of get to the root of the issue also. Yeah, I know, it, which is which is really great. And I also want to just say the way that you describe everything so far. I mean, you I can already tell you have exceptional bedside manner, which is <laughs> so important, especially for something like this, where it's a little uncomfy. It's new for people. They're not totally even sure why they're here a lot of time. And you have such a really, a really, really great way of being informative, but also even just like the tampon thing. You're like, you don't want to use it. No one cares. No problem. I think that <laughs> you just make people feel very comfortable. So you have you have really, really great bedside manner while also being extremely informative. I Thank love you. it. I, I could listen to you talk about this all day. I appreciate that so much because it is so important to be able to connect with people in a certain way, but also be able to give them information, but not make sure they're not mm -hmm. just talking at them. I yeah. want to make sure they understand they're part of the conversation. Absolutely. And what you're saying is very reminiscent of, for me, I've talked a lot on the show before how I've been really into um, functional medicine oh, um, and holistic ways for, you know, for care. And part of the reason behind that is because I think that it, a lot of times it can offer more of a 360 lens and rather than, oh, my belly hurts and, you know, they go in and they only focus on your belly at your PCP, right? And it, and they don't look at, well, what other things could be going on here? So you have that same approach where I know you're coming in because of your, your bladder, <laughs> but let's see all the different angles, what else could be going on? Because it might be like a domino effect happening here. It may not be the root at your bladder. It may be coming from somewhere else and now your bladder is just sort of suffering because of it, which is super important. You go that extra mile um, and it, it, I think it just makes people feel really at ease. So I yeah. love that as well. Perfect. I love that. I love that. Yeah, we are. I feel like we're like little detectives. We're just yeah. we're, we're trying to help and find. Put your PI hat on, girl. <laughs> um, I'm not done with the pelvic floor. Though. Oh, we wait, got. Let's we keep have so going. We haven't even gotten to the pelvic floor, to be honest. <laughs> so um, I'll try my best to explain for those who are not watching. But this is the pelvic floor again, and a cis female here. But um, hair, skin, fat is all turned away. And again, it's like we're looking at some red things, a.k.a. the muscles. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got three layers to their pelvic floor. Who knew? Three layers. Talk to me. I know. Okay. So just to orient you all a little bit, I don't even know if you can see, but um, we've got the clitoris. We're looking at, yeah, yeah. we're looking at a male vagine vulva area. Female. Sorry. Did I say female? I mean, did I, I say male? I think you said male. No, but female. Yes. Um, we've got your uh, clitoris right here. 
urethra, vagina, urethra, vagina, and your rectum. Sorry, I can't see. These three holes here. Boom, boom, boom. And those obviously correlate with the bladder, the uterus, the vagina, and then the rectum down here. Um, first layer of the pelvic floor, I'm not going to point it out, but just I'll just kind of speak to it. Yeah. The first layer of the pelvic floor sort of overlays the clitoris um, and the, the bulb and glands of the clitoris. And it's actually really responsible for sexual functioning and arousal. So the pelvic floor actually has a huge role in that. Um, it has a little bit of a uh, role in urinary control too, but again, mostly sexual functioning. Uh, second layer, it, you really can't even see it here, but that actually wraps kind of around the urethral sphincter. And that's more for like urinary control, but that's more like almost like involuntary. So like you and I are sitting here, but you're not thinking about like, oh my God, I can't, I'm not trying not to leak. You're not squeezing anything. So something's keeping you continent right now. You're not just like drip, drip, drip right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the deepest layer. And for them at home, continent means. Oh, sorry. Um, not leaking. Staying dry. And then the deepest layer right here. Um, have, have you heard of Kegels? I have. Yes. This set of muscles is most responsible for those Kegels. The other ones do it too a little bit. Um, but you can think of Kegels as and those like, are um, in the inside? Yes. They're the okay. deepest, thickest layer. And you can think of them as um, sort of it's a pelvic floor contraction. So when it squeezes, it lifts everything up. That's a Kegel. Um, so example, if you're in a really crowded elevator and you don't want to fart, guess what you're doing? You're trying to keep it. <laughs> We've all been there, right? You've been in a meeting, you've been in a crowded elevator. You don't want to fart. It's not just your butt cheeks moving. I was going to say, I thought you were trying to, to squeeze the sphincter. Yeah, but like that, you got to do a Kegel, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yep. I never thought about that. Are you that trying either. right now? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, I know. I hope all of you at home are like, wait, where is that? So it's not just, honestly, if you're squeezing your pelvic floor, I shouldn't be able to see you moving. Mm, okay. So you're not just doing like, right. like butt squeeze, like glute squeezes. Um, what was I going to say? Um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. So, but the thing is about Kegels is like, we don't want to just squeeze, squeeze, squeeze all the time. Because if you're squeeze, squeeze, squeezing all the time, you just get really tight, right? You're never just going to do like bicep curls and only bicep curls. You're going to do your triceps too. Like you want to yeah. do the other side. Um, but you also want to make sure that you can do pelvic floor relaxations so that when you're actually pooping and you're actually peeing, you're not so tight that you're holding things back. When you're actually having anything penetrative in your like a vaginal, like vaginal intercourse, um, guess what? You want to make sure you're able to relax and allow something to come in versus just kind of close it off. Right. Um, so it's, I would say almost equal. I would say they're equally as important. The ability to contract as well as the ability to relax. So there is potentially a downfall. Like you can do too many Kegels. Um, it's not one of those things where you should just be doing it all day, every day, no matter what. Probably not. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Because I think you hear about it all the time, right? And people think that that's, it's you know, end all be all. Like you're like, working yep. out, like that's me getting it fit. So it's going to be in the best shape if I just keep doing it co- consistently. But you may lose that inability or that ability to relax if you yeah. do too many. So Kegels are not inherently bad. But the way that most people do them is that they just squeeze, 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 and they forget to relax at all. Mm. So if you can do a Kegel and relax fully, great. Again, I would hesitate to tell somebody to just do 100 a day. Like, I would probably never tell anyone to do that. Um, but there, I know there's a lot of stuff out there that say, like, you know, you want things tight. and But it's like, yeah, that's not always the best thing. Yeah. 
Well, when you explain it in that way, it makes complete sense. Totally understand mm-hmm. that. All right, what else do we got in this little yeah, diagram? Was, is that everything? So Have I we think covered that was the it three all? layers of the pelvic floor. Oh, I was going to talk about, oh, we were talking about like the first visit. Then usually I tell folks um, how, what's an exam look like? Yeah. Like, yeah, what is, is it? Is a pelvic, like a physical exam of the pelvis necessary? Is that required? So an internal assessment, either a vaginal or rectal assessment, um, not always required. I would say that it should always be offered or if we don't know what's going on with the pelvic floor, um, that should be offered by the PT. It does not always have to be, um, you know, if a patient is uncomfortable, they want to save it for next session or they never want to do it, that's on them. Like that's perfectly fine. Um, I do think it's really helpful to be able to see like exactly what is going on in there yeah because like some people really think they're doing a kegel but they're doing it really wrong or they're like you're telling me to relax things but like i'm not really sure what i'm doing there Mm -hmm. so um doing that internal assessment can be really helpful but again it's really patient preference on that point yeah um question on that too the internal assessment itself is it a combination of visual like looking around and and seeing if everything looks to be quote unquote normal but also feeling around is you know are the muscles super tight or the organs you know how how's everything sitting in placement like what what are you doing in the assessment itself you know you're not just looking you're you're couple different things right love it so even before i do the internal assessment we'll usually do an external assessment like how are you moving can you do a squat can you how are your hips moving like something external too because again everything's connected i'm holding up the pelvis for those of you who can't see literally everything's connected what's going on outside will affect what's going on inside and vice versa as well but um um so the assessment usually we uh, i ask patients i'll step out i'll ask patients to get changed there's no speculum or stirrups so usually it's a lot more comfortable for folks like you're not getting like a metal speculum jammed up there horrible i know right it's just (laughs) like you know that like oh it's terrible terrible for all um so the no speculum or stirrup so just using a gloved lubricated finger and then on first exam we'll just look at the external the external vulva just kind of seeing how's the skin looking is it irritated does it look dry do things look atrophied is there an infection just kind of getting a lay of the land and kind of seeing what's going on there do we have hemorrhoids like um do you have a scar from uh from childbirth like what's going on here and then we'll dive into um you know we'll kind of Uh, touch around and kind of feel all those different areas and then we'll do the internal assessment so that's just like one digital one finger um going in vaginally if we're talking about a vaginal exam and then we'll actually be able to feel all those different layers of the muscles like even right to left kind of seeing what is going on maybe one side is a little bit tighter another side is not so much maybe pressing on with one specific muscle brings on your like nerve pain or somebody's like, oh my gosh, when I'm trying to have sex, this is what that feels like. It's so painful. Then we kind of know a lot more information about that. Very helpful. Is something like inflammation detectable from these exams or how do you assess for that? So it really depends, like inflammatory responses. If it's like a direct injury to something, we can see if something's like red and inflamed or like still healing But I would say if it's like an internal inflammation, meaning like um, maybe something causing bloating Mm -hmm. or like abdominal discomfort, constipation, that's not something that we can actually like see on exam. Okay. Okay. 
but those are still things that can be treated. It just oh, might yeah. not. It's just not something that you can always be able to pinpoint. Exactly. Per se. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very helpful. Very helpful. All right. Next on my list is long-term goals. So I know you said that you talked about long-term. You talked about goals in general in these initial or first visits, but now you figured out the problem. We've we've come up with a. Um, hopefully a root cause, or at least we know how to maybe treat these symptoms. Goal-wise, what's the plan? You know, how long do people continue to seek physical therapy for these needs? How often are they coming in either per week or per month? Can you give maybe a couple examples? Like if you had this, you know, if you present with this, this is probably what your treatment course may look like and versus this. So people have a couple different like tangible things to make sense of. Yeah, uh, this is so hard because everyone's so individual. Yeah, I'm sure. Take everything with a grain of salt, but I guess generally speaking. Yeah, generally speaking, since, again, we are rehab professionals, we we are here for a course of treatment, and we want consistent care, too. Because usually, like, you know, if we're giving you homework to do, it's not like, see you in three months. It's like, no, we want to see next week. How is it working for you? Are you feeling better? Are you feeling worse? How do we progress things? So I would say... um, Let's say somebody is uh, postpartum, Mm -hmm. postpartum, um, having urinary leakage. So I would say probably starting anywhere from four to eight appointments, probably. Um, Sometimes it's if we can just kind of figure out the root cause like pretty quickly. Um, Maybe they're just um, hydrating too much. They're like really flooding their bladder or they have really poor urinary habits. They're not emptying completely. If we can teach them the, a couple things to like improve that, it could be a shorter course of treatment. If it's like a true muscle strength issue, we know that muscles take four to six weeks to about to strengthen ish. Like, you know, the, what they say at the gym, like four to six weeks. But that's only like to a certain amount. And then you might need a little bit more to like get a little bit stronger. So some of it has to do with like muscle strength or muscle or tissue healing timelines too. Okay. But then other things are like, oh, if we change some of these behaviors or these habits, that can be really helpful as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like urinary leakage. Um I'm trying to think of another one um, off the top of my head. Um, urinary leakage. Um, oh, like, or maybe even getting back to exercise postpartum. So maybe they don't have a specific, like, um, um, issue, but they're, like, nervous about, like, okay, am I allowed to do crunches? Like, am mm-hmm. I... Like, like if there was an abdominal separation exactly. or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So like, okay, how do we appropriate progress you to this? Somebody who is maybe not um, a dedicated, a sorry, I shouldn't say dedicated, but like a um, has like a sport they're trying to return back to. Like, let's say they're a CrossFitter. Maybe they would be in for a little bit longer because like we're trying to train up to some high level things, right? Versus someone who's like, I want to be able to go out and walk my dog without and pick up you know, the Frisbee and run after the Frisbee with my dog. if it's a new mom, just like hold my child without being in pain, right? Totally, (laughs) totally. So um, all those are kind of variable, but really just being there to like coach them through all as they get stronger, Mm -hmm. as they, um, you know, as baby goes through sleep regression, like what is, how can we best help you recover, heal, strengthen? Okay, very cool. 
Now, I, I want to talk about the bladder. I personally, <laughs> this is what I am most interested in. And I will use myself as an example. I have no freaking shame, but I am so curious to pick your brain on some of these perhaps issues. I don't like to say issues, but maybe, you know, things that aren't 100% yeah. with our bladder. For me, I feel like a couple different things, okay? I'm ready. I feel like there are some days where I pee 24-7, like all day long. And then I have some days where I finally sign off my computer at 5.30 and I'm like, wow, I have not even gone to the bathroom once today. And I think that mostly people attribute that to, are you hydrated? Are you drinking enough water? But I'm curious, what other reasonings could there be for why we may see a fluctuation in how much we release our bladder? And also, on average, how many times should we be releasing our bladder per day? So great questions. Um, I'll answer the easy one first, which is how often should we be emptying our bladders? It's about six to eight times in a 24-hour period. Okay. So every like three to four-ish hours. Oh my gosh, that's a lot. Is it? I feel like it is. Okay, we should talk. Oh God. <laughs> um, so if you find that you are peeing a lot more than that, peeing a lot less than that, then there might be a little hydration issue. There might be a little bit more of a, um, you know, incomplete emptying issue. Mm -hmm. um, things, definitely things to talk about. Um, in terms of what you're saying, so our bladders are creatures of a habit. They know a lot of things that we don't even realize they know. So they know that if you're settling in for a long day of computer stuff and you're not really drinking and you have drinking fluid and you have a ton of meetings back to back, it's sort of like, okay, we know we're in it for the long haul here. <laughs> it's sort of like, okay, we're, we know. It prepares itself. It prepares itself. But then other days, if you're like, oh, I'm running around or like um, I'm drinking tons of water, then it's like, oh, we have the freedom to we have the freedom to go pee. Like mm -hmm. we have a little bit more, a little bit more um, leeway with this. I find that folks with like a job that has, um, um, so folks like teachers, maybe doctors, nurses who like really cannot pee. Um, when they need to, do you know what I mean? Because they're held by, yes. you know, a teacher can't leave a room full of students yes. all the time. Or like doctors are like, no, we're, we're busy. Like we're, we're seeing patients all day long. Um, usually those folks have a really tough time with their bladder because that can be really hard to have a routine. Okay. So I was going to ask this as well, because if, if these suckers are so smart, how come whenever I get into the car and I have a long ride ahead, that's when all of a sudden my bladder is like, I've got to pee. <laughs> like, have you ever, you know, you've been on yep. a road trip and it's just like, as soon as you get into the car, like you have not, you let, you peed before you left the house. You do not have to pee. And then as soon as you hit the traffic in the road, all of a sudden you're like, I have to ding, pee ding. and I'm going to pee my pants right this second. Is that more of just a mental thing or is that our bladders doing something to us like fight or flight mode? <laughs> I need to say kind of both. Um, so, you kind of mentioned just in case peeing. Like, you know, you yeah. just pee oh, before yeah. you leave the house. And it's like sometimes you're like, you don't, oh, I don't really have to pee, but like I should, I should just go. Always. You know? Not the best. No way. I've been doing it my whole entire I life. I know. We all have. So it's sort of um, 
basically our bladders like to be consistent. It likes to be filled to a certain amount and empty a certain amount. Fills, empty, fill. It doesn't like to like, it doesn't, you know how you said, like some days I'm like really dehydrated yeah. and I don't drink water. It doesn't love the big changes day to day. So just in case peeing is, guess what? You telling your bladder you have to pee. It's not your bladder telling you. Like, honestly, you know, you've been to brunch or something with your friends and you're like, you know, having a great time. And someone's like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. Does anyone else have to go? And someone's like, oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, might might as well. We can always go pee. So there's always going to be something in your bladder, but it might not be ready to be completely emptied. So that can maybe create not a great habit. Um, And then on a road trip, sometimes it can be hard to distract yourself. Right. Yeah. You're definitely. Like, you're like, okay, when's our next rest stop? And you start to think about it a little bit more. Yeah. And then that can just sort of heighten your awareness of your bladder and its needs. So would I be totally off to make the analogy? Like when you were just saying that about our bladders, the first thing that came to my mind is our like cell phone batteries. You know how they would say, let the phone completely die before you charge it? Because over time, if you charge it with 10% left or 20% left, it starts to um, lessen the life of the battery because it's like thinking that it's fully charged when it's not. You know what I mean? Is it something like that with our bladders where like if we're releasing it too soon, our capacity or our, the like the, you know, the memory of our capacity can kind of change where we think it's full when it's not. Actually, such a great analogy that I've not heard before. I really don't know how phone batteries work. <laughs> like I literally don't know. I think they've come but, a long way, but that used yes, to be the case. Like yes. if you charge your phone too yes. soon, you would shorten your battery life because yes. it's thinking that that 70% that it needed to charge is actually a hundred, you know? Yes. So actually that's a great analogy. So all those times you just in case pee, your battery's like, oh, she, her bladder is only like a quarter full right now. Like, I guess, I guess we're kind of full. I guess it's time to empty. So it doesn't really understand that that's not full and it'll give you maybe a fake urge later on. Mm -hmm. So it can be really hard for people to decipher, like, was that a real urge or was that just sort of like a, so basically the way our bladders work is it's like a balloon that fills with fluid. So, um, every, so about your bladder can fill about two cups of fluid about, Okay. So let's say your bladder capacity is different than mine, different than the person walking down the street, but on average. So the thing is, before it ever gets to that two cup full, about one cup, it's like, hey, Tracy, like we're in Target right now. You have a full cart. Maybe it's like time to go to the checkout line. Yeah. You know, like find the bathroom, right? It gives you a little bit of like a heads up, right? Yeah. It's not like a ding, you got to go. We've been there before, but it's not like it, you know, but usually it's like ding, okay, like kind of get a lay of the land and then, okay, let's make it to, the, we have, you have time to make it to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. However, if you kind of listen to that signal, that one cup mark forever and ever and ever for like months, it's going to start to think like, oh, hey, Tracy, like we're, all, we're full. Like we're nearing, like one cup is full now. And that's what it, like that capacity you're talking mm-hmm. about with the battery it's sort of like, oh, I think that this is, it starts to think that one cup is full. So then guess what? At half a cup, it's going to be like, oh my gosh, we're halfway full. So it can get really confused in terms, like our bladders are smart, but they really base it off of routine. It's mm-hmm. it's basing it off of what you've done before. And so with physical therapy, there are certain, whether it's, I don't know if it's 
exercises, stretches, yep. treatments, all whatever terminology, but there's different things that we can do totally. that can hopefully um, reverse some of that bad training that we've done to yeah. our poor our bladders. Literally bladder training. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's actually really reassuring. Yeah. Another layer to this that I think is interesting is um, you mentioned, you know, sometimes you um, can feel like an urgency to go to the bathroom or maybe have a hard time going to the bathroom if you're constipated because of how close um, our rectums and the bladders are to one another. Um, I feel like um, personally, um, when you're drunk and you, or you've had too much to drink, right? You have an issue with um, fully emptying. You know, like you're like, you go pee and then sec- as soon as you get up, you have to go pee again. Um, and we all call it like you broke the yes. seal, yep. right? Um, but then also times on our menstrual cycles or like, you know, uh, if you're if you're having trouble going to the bathroom, number two, we can have issues with peeing. How does that all come into play? And can we have these sort of moments where we have maybe more difficulty based on these other factors that yeah, go on? Definitely. So alcohol is definitely a bladder irritant. Okay. So it's like, uh, basically, if it's getting in your bladder, your bladder doesn't love it. Yeah. Okay. So it's more like, okay, it's here. Let's get this out. And a lot of times when we are drinking, we're not also hydrating, right? We're like, Sorry, like with water, right? We're just like drinking so or alcohol, I should say. And so that can just get more and more irritated to our bladder, irritating to our bladders. And our bladder is like, oh, okay, it's time to get this out. Mm -hmm. Time to get this out. Time to get this out. So that can lead to that increased urge to pee. Um, And then your other question, oh, time of the month. Yes. 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 So things can change. Honestly, our hormones are wild. Our hormone levels change day to day, and it's just kind of crazy. So, like, during ovulation, during menstruation, like, all those things can definitely cause differences in our um, bodily function, right? Mm -hmm. Even, like, you feel, like, fatigued, um, sleepier, or, like, stomach upset. Like, all those things, they can be somewhat on the normal spectrum. Of course, if you're in pain, if you're, um, you know, really having difficulty with some things, of course, that's something to, like, kind of talk to your providers about. But um, there is like a um, somewhat normal range of changes through your body during all these hormonal shifts, definitely. Okay. So more often than not, when people have um, an issue with urinary retention, is that more of a systemic thing going on? Or is it one of those things that sort of comes and goes based on these other contributing factors? It can be so many things. Yeah. Um, I mean, there could be a pelvic floor component, meaning like you're not emptying completely. You're sort of like um, your muscles are kind of holding on and yeah. like tightening that that tube. So like it's not completely emptying. Um, if you have a history of just like holding your pee for a really long time, your bladder might not be able to get everything out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of people tell me like, oh, it feels like I don't completely empty because I have to pee again like 20 minutes yes. later. But that's also like, remember what I said about um, your bladder only, it starts to read those signals wrong. Mm-hmm. We can always go pee. Yeah. But sometimes the urge or that sensation you get is a little bit off. So no, that might not be a urinary retention issue. It's just like an urgency issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, urinary retention um, definitely happens to people. 
And then that's something that we want to make sure we're talking about. Like, do you get UTIs? Do you get anything else going on? Do you get any sort of irritation going on down here? Yeah. So talking about all those things that might kind of come along with it too. So for someone who has that pretty consistent or maybe, you know, it happens often, um, something like they have this immediate frequency, right? They feel like they oh, they got to go and they got to go right now, but they're, it's not a UTI. They don't have other UTI mm-hmm. symptoms. Based on the lovely um, display that you gave us <laughs> earlier, that might have something to do with that layer of muscle that helps with the urinary control. Yeah. Okay. So it could be a bunch. I mean, there's a boatload of different things. Boatload. Like, are you hydrating? Are yeah. you only drinking bladder irritants? Yeah. Which is why it's so important to really go in and get checked out on based on your individual concerns because everybody I th- think that there's there like we said there's it's a beauty beautiful thing that like there's so much of this conversation happening online but it's so overwhelming when one it, totally. one person tells you one thing one person tells you another and you know sometimes it's like okay well I get that you know the more holistic or functional doctor is going to say something then different than the Western medicine doctor. But then you get into a point where it's like two women who both specialize in female reproductive health and they're saying the opposite thing. So it's like, wait a second, you guys are supposed to be on the same page. It's just, it's very difficult to know who to believe, what information to trust. And that's why we've got to stop self-diagnosing ourselves on the internet (laughs) and go into a specialist who can help you properly. That being said though, do you have one little either tip trick exercise, little something other than a Kegel that people could do at home um, that you might just want to, like you think might be good for everybody to just do. Stay on top of. Something fun. One thing that I find all the time is um, take a deep breath. Oh. And hang on. Oh. (laughs) You're like, I'm not finished yet. Yeah, I'm not finished yet. Um, But let your belly go. How often do you find yourself actually like gripping your belly, like without even noticing? But like we're having, we wear high-waisted jeans, like love them. We'll wear them forever. No low rise, please. But how often do we just kind of suck it in without even realizing? How often are we engaging our abdominals and just clenching? Especially as females, we've been told our whole lives, like suck it in, suck it in, you know, like tighten, you know, tighten fit. Um, a lot of times if we're really just tightening all the time, we're also just like tightening our pelvic floors too. So we want to make sure that you don't really need to be tight all the time. Like, okay, like take that deep breath, but let that travel down to your belly and like let let your belly go. Yeah. I feel like that's a big one that is so underrated um, in terms of when I teach people about the pelvic floor, I teach them about their abdominals, their breathing, all that stuff too. You really can't just talk about the pelvic floor without talking about all of that stuff too. So I know I just like, you know, open a whole new box of worms there. <laughs> but like, you know, if you're listening to this, like think about like, oh, was I clenching without me even realizing? Like, let me melt, let my belly go. Like, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Um, I feel like that's a big thing, especially in our society. We're always told like... Totally. Let it go. And also, I feel like millennials, our generation, everybody's just stressed, which causes us to kind of tighten up naturally. You know, like that's our baseline. It's just we're on edge and we're tight and we're (laughs) nervous about whatever the hell is going to come next. We live through a pandemic. Of course we are. Truly, truly. But 
I think that those are really good reminders that, like you said, just aren't aren't acknowledged or spoken about enough that can make a big difference. And it's it gives us something to think about, about how interconnected everything is. Um, because like I said, you just, you think one thing's an issue. You don't, you don't think about, okay, well, how does this relate to this, this, and this? And I think that if you take that bird's eye view to begin with, you might actually get down to the, the, be able to pinpoint it like a lot sooner. You just don't miss things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this was all so, so freaking helpful. I could continue to ask (laughs) you about this stuff all day, but I think that using the examples we have is a really good start. And I also think that knowing how connected they are, you can kind of start to make some inferences on where yeah. other issues may or what other issues may go on to and how they all sort of correlate to one another. I, yep. Um, but for more advice, they can certainly reach <laughs> out and see you. Where's your office located? So we are in the south end of Boston. Um, and, and then we have now three PTs, myself and two others. Awesome. And we all sort of treat very similarly. We look at the whole body. We look at all the systems. Um and they're just my, tr- I, I would, I get treated by them. Let's p- put it that way. So it's great. Like I, I trust that. them so much. Um, and then one thing I wanted to say, what was it? Oh yes. I loved, sorry. I just want to bring this, Yeah, you know, um, I love that you said like, we are all individuals, you know, we want to make sure that like, we are all so different. Like your symptoms are not exactly the same as the person next to you or the person behind you. Um, and your body might not be different. So like getting that individualized care is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah. And not being afraid thing. to do that. Like you said, yeah. you've seen it all and this is your job and you enjoy it. I think that there's a lot of shame. And we kind of talked about that when we first, when in the other episode, yes. when we talked about this to begin with, is just like people don't go because of the shame and sort of the embarrassment. And, yeah. and that's why you're here. I mean, it, then there's none of that in your office. So I just hope feel that people feel encouraged and inspired to, to come in. Um, because once you kind of get over that idea... There's relief on the other side, ladies <laughs> there really and gentlemen. There, there really, really is. is. You like, know, it's well worth it. It's. I will say, like, if anything feels off, feels wrong, something is bothering you, it is worth telling your provider. It's worth seeking out care for whatever it is. Might not be pelvic floor PT, but I'm always such, like, a big advocate of, like, even if your doctor doesn't mention it, like, you can bring it up. Yeah. You oh, yeah. You can seek care care and help for all yeah. that stuff too. Like they please. come in for those two minutes and they want to leave. Be like, ah, 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 I got yeah. some questions yes. for you. Yes. You know, feel Advocate empowered for- to do that. Yes. Like empowerment is like all, I'm all about that. I love that. Um, so setting up their first appointment, they can go to the website yep. and mm-hmm. is there like a, a form they fill yeah, out? Yeah, it's a Do contact they- form. Cool. Um, and then we have a admin that will reach out and make sure you're put with the best um, therapists who treat you. Because um, we all have like little specialties here and there too. Yeah. But yeah, on our website, you can, again, contact form. You can read about us, read about our clinic. Um, but Yeah. Fantastic. And they can go to the Instagram. You guys have a lot of good tips in there too. Yes. Please check out the Instagram. Um, I'm not a social media guru and I'm like fairly proud of it. And because it's that, oh my God. It's very aesthetically pleasing. Thank you. I really enjoy it. And it's helpful. So thank you. It's 
checking all the boxes. Music to my ears. All the boxes. All right, before I let you go, last but not least, I always ask everyone to sort of leave with their final piece of advice. It can be pertaining to the topic at hand. It can be being a woman in your 30s, general life advice. What is your go-to? Oh my gosh. Kind of just piggybacking off of what I just said, like um, there are people out there to help you with whatever issues you're having. If you are nervous, scared, whatever it is, like there is someone out there to help you. And maybe it won't be the first provider you see, but I think that advocating for yourself and feeling empowered to do so and not just like living with an issue because, you know, like uh, my mom had it or like my aunt had it. Like, no, like there are people there to help you live your best life um, and live the life that you want to live, help you live the life that you want to live. I Love that. If you guys don't do it, no one else is going to do it. You know, if you can't speak up for yourself, who's going to do it? You have to put you first. That's excellent, excellent advice. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for answering all my questions. You are so fun and it was very educational. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next week.